Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated with the people behind these businesses, where they've come from and what drives them forward. I grafted really hard as a kid and I think that was one of the big advantages of dyslexics and one of the reasons we make good entrepreneurs is because we have to graft to get through it so we realise that hard work does pay off. Today I sit down with Pip Jameson, founder and CEO of The Dots, a digital platform which has been described as the LinkedIn for creatives. Her mission is to connect people via the projects they've worked on rather than who they know. She and her team are based in our protein studios in Shoreditch, which is where this was recorded. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Pip. Thanks, Phil. Great to have you on Stories of Growth here in my office. Um, So let's start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Let's start at the, the founding principle of the dots. Was there a problem you were looking to solve? Was there, you know, an itch you wanted to scratch? You know, what was that? What's the what's the inception story? Yeah, so I was never. I'm a strange entrepreneur because I was never one of those people that dreamed of being an entrepreneur. Um, what did you dream um, of being? I I don't know really. I was just kind of working, winging it as I went along. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it literally was around just solving a problem that I was seeing. So, um, I mean, for those that don't know the dots, people kind of linked call us LinkedIn for the creative industries. But it came about because um, I was at work at MTV. And I was just surrounded by friends that were working in a very different way than that traditional white collar community. And, you know, we were adopting way more portfolio fluid careers than that traditional CV based career. Um, And a lot of what we were working on was creative and project led. So LinkedIn was just just rubbish for showcasing ourselves, promoting ourselves, um, building our networks and also connecting to opportunities. So. I just wanted to have a different way of professional networking that made sense to me and my mates. And so we started calling our community like no-collar professionals. Um, And essentially that's a future workforce that that work in a more fluid way, that are more creative and that just don't really like LinkedIn. (laughs) Got it. So where, where and when was that? So that was back in 2009. So I, this is my second baby. Um, my first baby, I actually started a baby sister version of the Dots in Australia called The Loop, which I scaled mm-hmm. in Australia to being the biggest creative network over there. So we had over 67% of the creative industries actively using the site, had over 11,000 clients. Um, and then around three years ago, um, I wanted to expand globally, but my business partner didn't. It's a very long story short. I had to sell my business in Australia, but I acquired the global technology rights. Um, okay. I then rebranded the platform and started from scratch here in London. Um, a number of my team relocated from Australia to help me start off again, which is amazing, um, including one family. And uh, everything I made from Australia, I reinvested into the business here so all eggs one basket um and my my husband actually recently asked me how much money i've got left in my australian bank account and i'm too scared to tell him because i basically spent everything (laughs) so he's not allowed to listen to this Um, i'll I'll let him know not to listen so yeah i went from startup to scale up to startup 
back to scale up. So yeah, it's, but I believe in what we're doing. I believe that LinkedIn is just not built for this next generation and I believe we can do it better. <laughs> so how, how are you doing that? How are you making, or, or what are you making that is different? Because I understand that it is, uh, it, it's category. So this is creative, which is a different mindset, obviously, yeah. rather than business. So for those who haven't seen the dots, as I'm sure there's only a few of them, <laughs> what, what, is it, what is it that's different about the dots? So on a very basic level, how you actually showcase your work. So um, LinkedIn was built around a traditional CV, which is great if you work at PwC. Um, but if you're working in a much more fluid way, so you're working more on a project by project basis, it doesn't really work. So the way the dots works is you post a project, but then you tag the full team around the project. So an amazing magazine can go up and say, right, this is the editor, these are the photographers, these were the stylists, these were the journalists. And in, we act a bit like a wiki of projects and the full teams behind those projects. So we, while we look after creatives, it's actually the full teams that deliver on projects because creativity is a team sport. You know, you can have a rock star designer, but if you don't have, if you're building an app, if you don't have a great engineering team and product team and growth team, that idea is never going to get off the ground. So it's the teams that make ideas happen. Um, and that's how the kind of site builds out. So that is the key difference. It is recognizing, as you said, the components of the project, the components being the people mm. and the contributions. Um, but then that also becomes a discovery platform, no? In terms of finding people who are connected to different projects in different ways. Exactly. So you can search any project that you love. So you can say, right, I love Nike Fuel Band. And then suddenly you've discovered the full people that are working behind those projects. So you can network and connect with them. And a huge problem LinkedIn actually has is recommending people to actually meet and network because everyone's accepted everyone's invites. So like the contacts you have on LinkedIn are kind of meaningless. But because we know the full teams, we can actually make really good recommendations on who people should meet. So, right. you know, when you're out at a, a pub one night and you meet someone and you suddenly realize you've got a contact in common, we sort of allow that to happen through the platform. Uh, okay. um, so that's kind of how the, we facilitate networking, but it's also a massive inspiration place where you can follow people and brands, uh, but actually discover the teams that worked on that creative. Okay. So just building on that, um, and getting into some more detail, mm. what are the top line top line numbers for the dots? So we're nearly um, we're nearly half a million users, which is sort of mental Congrats. to watch. Wow. Um, awesome. <laughs> uh, we are, you know, we work with over eight thousand brands now that use us to either hire talent, so freelance or full time talent, or use us to promote themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean that's that's the that's kind of the you know, I guess the ego stats, I guess what I'm more passionate about is just enabling creativity. And it's those emails I get, I work every Saturday. So it's the emails I get on a Saturday where someone who wasn't getting an opportunity in the industry suddenly got an opportunity in the industry. And yeah. that's, that's the kind of, I mean, everything we try and do is democratize creativity. Um, because there's these amazing people doing this amazing work that not necessarily getting a foot in the door. And that's what we're trying to change because creativity flourishes on diversity of thought and we're trying to make it more diverse. <laughs> Maybe talk on that some more. I know you're a, a vocal <laughs> advocate on neurodiversity. Yeah, so I, I guess I experienced firsthand at MTV 
the real problem that comes with homogenous teams. And a lot of our industry has been built around um, hiring mates and mates and mates because it's the easiest way to hire, you know. Um, but the huge problem I experienced at MTV that we were all very similar. You know, we had similar backgrounds. We lived in a similar area. And actually our creative output became really stale and that's so dangerous for creativity. Um, and so I wanted a different way. So, you know, as you said, I'm a big advocate of neurodiversity. For those who don't know what that is, that's kind of, I'm dyslexic, so that's uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, autism. Um, but I'm also a sole female tech founder. So, you know, at my stage, we've closed a four million round just before Christmas. There's only 2.3% of funding goes to women at my stage. So a big part of what The Dots is about is enabling amazing brands to find diverse talent and also giving a platform for diverse thinking. And LinkedIn just feels like you should be homogenous. We're the opposite. We celebrate difference. So currently we're um, of our members, we're 62% of our members are female, uh, over 31% are BAME, so black, Asian, minority, ethnic, 16% LGBT plus. We also do a lot of work on neurodiversity and socioeconomic movement, um, all with the recognition that creativity is best at its best when you have a diverse diverse workforce so yeah and i'll just i could go on for hours sorry <laughs> never apologize <laughs> it's it's incredible pip um and you know we're a big fan obviously <laughs> i am a big fan personally and also tracking you know your dys- dyslexia adv- advocacy as i'm also dyslexic mm-hmm. but maybe just chat a little bit more specifically around dyslexia and your um I guess your personal story through it from a from a kid, mm. which is generally where it's hardest, as mm. I know it was for me doing exams and you know, just uh, just understanding even back then, you know what it was, but more importantly, what it can now enable, yeah. which to me is always positive in my word blindness, um, as I think it was was called, maybe still is called, <laughs> maybe isn't, um, which I take as a as a huge positive. Yeah. I mean, Julia, I had no idea you were dyslexic, and it's absolutely no surprise. I mean, it's um, so the data on it is actually that 35% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic and 40% of self made millionaires. So we're more likely to become entrepreneurs, and when we are entrepreneurs, we're more likely to be successful, which is mental. So everyone from um, Joe Malone was dyslexic, Anita Broderick was dyslexic, Steve Jobs was dyslexic, Einstein was dyslexic. So Branson. Branson. Oh, sorry, how could I forget Branson? Yeah. um, or I was yeah. reading one of the founders of WeWork as well. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it literally a Holly Taco founder, not on the high street. I mean, mm. it's um, actually a fun fact. It was illegal to give sperm if you were dyslexic about 10, 15 years ago. Seriously. So typical Branson, he started an all dyslexic sperm bank where you could only <laughs> get dyslexic sperm, which I love. I um, love that. So breed an entrepreneur, get a dyslexic sperm. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're so right. Like when you're young, it's 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 hideous i was um i was very lucky to be diagnosed very early on um before many people knew what dyslexia was and the reason being is my mum used to work for a charity that used to do educational puppet shows it's called new new kids on the block before new kids on the block um it, there were these giant puppets and she went around schools educating kids on cerebral palsy and so this is um, in australia no, this is here. So in I, yeah, this is in London. Okay. So I'm I'm British, even though everyone thinks I'm Australian. You're British. I'm British. <laughs> Are you sure? I started. A, well, I'm a mongrel. I was born in New Zealand, but 
but I spent, I was uh, You're not even an four. Aussie. I'm not even an Aussie. Um, so I sent from four over here. But um, yeah, so mum was working for this amazing charity and, and it was educating kids on cerebral palsy. And she went to a talk. And at this time, I was around seven years old. The teachers were just saying I was just really stupid. I couldn't, I just stopped being able to learn at the pace. Reading was just a nightmare. Writing was a nightmare. And so the teachers just said I was stupid. And mum was like, no way. And so she saw this talk run by this charity she was working for. And it was, a, a, it was about dyslexia. And she goes, oh, my God, that's what Pip's got. And so to the credit of my incredible mother, she worked tirelessly to get me the help I needed. So I was doing remedial classes before school at lunchtime. Um, and it was a nightmare for around, well, until I was about 15, you know, it's just, I was just, just felt stupid. I really struggled. The words still jump. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to explain. Um, but things got easier and easier. And then things like, you know, spell check were amazing. What an amazing invention. Um, and yeah, I managed to get to the university, just a massive surprise of everyone. Uh, imagine, imagine, um, uh, that's dyslexia, by the way, I'm stumbling words. I, uh, I managed to then graduate, and my parents bawled their eyes out. Um, and which, I, which university? So I went to Edinburgh. Um, which wow. was sort of, again, bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> and I studied maths and economics, and I got a first. So, yeah, I managed to, to get out the other end. Um, um Thank you. Uh, it was a lot of hard work. I remember, like, when I was little, I, I don't know about you, but I used to have a torch under my duvet and trying to practice writing so I didn't look stupid in front of my friends because I just couldn't... Uh, anyway, but, um, but, yeah, it all paid off in the end. I worked... I grafted really hard as a kid. And I think that was one of the big advantages of dyslexics. And one of the reasons we make good entrepreneurs is because we have to graft to get through it. So we realized that hard work does pay off. And we got through something quite hard when we were young. So getting through the ebbs and flows of the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship, you kind yeah. of think, well, if I can get through dyslexia, this is nothing. <laughs> I can deal with everything else. Yeah, get that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it that way mm. and you're you're right it's young it was seven yeah seven and seven and eight that's when yeah. certainly on my side yeah, that was too. when and also I think now that's they don't really it's not about taking you seriously or maybe they just don't take you seriously but they don't really look at you properly and that also ties in with your stage at schooling yeah. as to when they look at uh, it's about diagnosis but very much whether you are or you're not or what mm. to do about it but mm. No, I like that. Yeah, it builds resilience resilience and perseverance. Actually, there's an amazing Yale research study that looked at these core traits, and resilience and perseverance was one of it because you you come over something when you're really young. Another thing is empathy. So we're way more empathetic, and they're not completely sure if that's because our brains are wired differently or actually it's because we've been in the minority, and so we understand the minority's perspective. And so we have massive empathy for other people who are struggling through things, so we are more empathetic. Um, and the reason we're more creative, and that's why, you know, that breeds entrepreneurs as well, is actually the Yale study found we, we take in more data, so we have wider peripheral vision than other humans. Yeah. Um, so we are the most sophisticated machines that exist, so we're taking in all of this crazy data points all around us, and then we synthesize that and connect the dots, I guess, and yeah. we synthesize that into creativity. So that's what's so exciting about how our brains work. We, while we can't look at 
um, letters still jump. I don't know my own phone number, but I found out recently ne neither did Einstein, so it was fine. Um, <laughs> it does my husband's head in. He's like, how can you not know your phone number? I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, but Einstein did it. Yeah, Einstein did it, so yeah. bugger off. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, we take in more data and we synthesize that data into creativity and gut feeling and intuition, and that's what leads our kind of guts of leading businesses, which is really exciting. So it is our superpower. Well, I feel so much better about myself. <laughs> and it's only 20 to 11 in the morning. <laughs> So how does that show up as you as a dyslexic female CEO founder? <clears throat> I mean, and as you said, you're, you're championing uh, some of these core communities. But is there, is, there a, is there a goal? Is there a destination? Is there a, you know, is there a point that you want to get to that you've like, I've got there? Or, or is this a continual journey? I want to be the next LinkedIn. So that's it. So, yeah, I mean, however long Still that... Still hanging on how LinkedIn. Long... <laughs> LinkedIn, if you're listening, <laughs> Pip, Pip's coming for you. I just, I just think it was built around a very different value set than what, we, what the community that we service look after has. And I think it was built around homogeneity. It was built around money over anything else. Our community have very different values. You know, they value purpose as much as paycheck. They value diversity. They want to go to work and have their co-workers to feel like friends and family. I feel like LinkedIn was designed a very, around a very different way of thought and, and a different value set. And I, I think it's time for something new. I think, you know, Reid Hoffman, who started LinkedIn, knows that too, because he did sell it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for me, it's next LinkedIn. If that takes me 15, 20, 30, 50, oh, I don't know if I live 50 years. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going to live we'll forever. We'll It'll be fine. Yeah. But we'll... Um, yeah, I, I mean, and I love it. And I love, I love, there's nothing more magical than building a business and building a team around you that you love and loving coming to work every day. And I'm not going to give, I mean, my husband says if I ever got out of the dots, I'd just start another business. So, like, you know, it, I, I might as well do the one I'm absolutely in love yeah, with. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about mindsets, mm. uh, which we are, you know, compare, comparing to previous uh, with LinkedIn to Dots, which is current, which is a millennial mindset. Mm. I mean, give or take a few, um, a few exceptions. How are you seeing that or are there specific examples of those behaviours that, you know, we do a lot of research as well mm. around, but more interestingly, how you compare that to the next generation, mm. to a Gen Z, mm. to a, to the kids who are graduating now that mm. they're facing, mm. you know, do I set up my LinkedIn profile or, you know, do I set up my dots profile? Mm. We know the right answer to that question. But are you, my question is, do you research? How much, how much do you know of those behaviours mm. and more in, Importantly, the differences in those behaviours, because certainly from our side and the research we've done, there are some big differences mm. from the 16 to 24-year-old Gen Zs mm. versus 
you know, the 24 to 36-year-old millennials. Mm. So be interesting to hear how that's showing up in your community. We, we don't do our, our own research of our own community, but we lean on loads of research from other people like you. I mean, you do it so yeah. well. Well, so... <laughs> well, I, I wasn't looking for that. But, <laughs> but sure. it's true. But we lean on so much of that. I mean, you know, I think... I mean, the huge trends we... So a lot of, for example... Um, Oh, platforms sort of showcase things like these are great illustration projects we don't do that we go on a much deeper level because we found our community interacts with that content way more frequently mm -hmm. than just illustration so what i mean by that is we theme our content around for example for pride we only featured lgb talent on the dots for a whole week we only featured projects created by lgb talent and we created a list of a hundred incredible LGBT leaders. Um, this is what our community care about. This is what they engage with. Um, they're just sort of bored with the old crap that's coming. Sorry, I shouldn't say. But you know, they want they want to see find a deeper meaning. We find that across the board. I mean, 77 percent of our community is under thirty five. Um, we, I think what we are noticing is definitely digital natives. Um, and we're definitely noticing also just a massive fluidity in terms of careers. So many people just adopting portfolio careers, starting their own businesses, uh, um, just literally embracing risk in a way that I've never seen before, which I find mm -hmm. really exciting. I mean, it's, it's the rise of the slashies. The younger you get in terms of the demographic on the dots, the more skills they have and the more mm -hmm. diverse the projects they're working on. So they might be running their own event, IndieMag, doing social media for this place. It's just this very fluid way of work. And, mm -hmm. you know, that slashiness sort of, there's less slashes as you get to the millennial generation and then there's no slashes when you get to the generation above. Um, and I think it's really, I mean, the other interesting dynamic that's happening right now from a career perspective is we are in the lowest levels of unemployment that we've had in four decades. Mm. So the choices are abundant as well. So people are just jumping ship very quickly if places don't make them happy. Mm. Um, and I think the, you, we again see that you know, coming down the funnel, I guess, you know, the generation above the millennials worry more about the money and then, you know, mm -hmm. there's less so the next generation. The next generation found there's just a light fluidity. But will, will that change as people get older and get mortgages and kids? Who knows, you know, but there is that, that kind of appetite to move. Um, but I think it's now a belief in happiness is more important than, than money, which mm. I kind of love, yeah, you know. No, Obviously great. you need money to live and there's been so much research that if you hit a certain level of money there's no difference in your happiness levels between you know something where you can sustain a nice life to millions a year there's just no difference and yeah. I think this is the first sort of generation coming through that recognized that that yeah. like hey what am I here for Be yeah happy. for sure <laughs> so looking through this mindset on the side of the brands mm. or your clients, your customers, mm. people who are advertising jobs, looking to recruit mm. this um, community of creative-minded, 33% dyslexic. Um, what, any tips for them? Because I certainly know it's, it's, all, it, it's getting harder to recruit mm -hmm. right people. Yeah. You know, that's why I still do a lot of the interviews. Um, because your people are your most important asset. But if you are representing this community, have you got any specific tips for 
you know, the brand side, um, the business side, for how they should be presented, what this your community or the community as a whole would, would expect? Yeah, I mean, first is diversity. So I think you've got to ingrain diversity into the core and that has to come from the top going down. So um, we encourage a lot of the companies, we've got 8,000 businesses on the dots now, to have second interview diversity quotas. It might be harder to make sure that you've got a really representative group of people at second interview. Why is it so important? There's an amazing research done by Creative Equals that inclusive and diverse teams are 43% more likely to stay with the business. So it reduces churn. Um, and this is something that that is the business. To, like, I'm a bit sick of people going, oh, it's, it's a good thing to do. No, actually, if you, it is a good, of course, it's the right thing to do. But at the same time, it reduces churn by creating diversity in a business. So that would be step one. The other thing is I think people have got to shift their mentality to thinking about employee happiness instead mm-hmm. of the classic pay or progression um so and something we do how you how do you quantify happiness so we use something called um okrs not kpis so they're called objectives and key results okrs Uh, OKRs. Um, they're invented by intel but made famous by google um they actually implemented them at the size we are now um they're aspirational so kpis you have to be able to achieve um they're aspirational so my Um, key result as CEO is 10 out of 10 happiness for my team. Sounds a bit (laughs) airy-fairy, but it is amazing. So what what does that mean? Every quarter I send a survey to my team. It's completely anonymous. And the first question is, how happy are you coming to work every day? Um, What do you love working about? What do you love about working at the dots? And then I ask three questions in the same way, which is, how can we improve the dots to make you happier? How can we improve the product to make you happier? And what would you do as CEO? It's essentially like an exit interview. So it's what you give to people when leaving, but we do it every quarter. Quarter. So uh, my, as I said, my result is ten out of ten happiness. Um, So we're averaging eight and a half at the moment, which is pretty amazing. and but what I'm most interested in is people that are below the eight. So, you know, the five, six, sevens. Why is that happening? And then um, I encourage them to come and chat to me and we'll go for a coffee. They don't have to tell me which number they are. And then we'll talk through what that is all to their senior managers. And what's amazing is you suddenly realize that small changes can help straight away and also reduces flight risk. Um, because if someone's unhappy, usually what they do is they just resign and move on. So it helps me find if someone's about to leave, what mm-hmm. can we change in the business um, to make them happier and stay? So that's, you know, it's not an, you know, people people do move. That's the, yeah, the yeah. nature of business these days. But that means that I have a much more, um, I have a radar for people that are unhappy um, and help them get back to their happiness levels. Keeping... Keeping the workplace happy. Keeping the workplace happy. And I hug a lot, as you know. <laughs> I know you do. <clears throat> you are a good hugger, Pip. Um, key, key element of happiness. <laughs> Getting your quota, happiness quota up. How does that link to business? Mm. To the business? To your growth targets? To your investor expectations? How do you merge, you know, the soft metrics of happiness mm-hmm. to, you know, hard metrics of growth? Well, I've, I've come to realise that my hardest and most important role as CEO is building and retaining a world-class team. So that is, you know, I'm never going to... <laughs> I'm never going to be the next LinkedIn without an incredible group around me. So um, how does that soft target 
linked to this, it's, that, it's retention. Um, and I think that's a retention level that loads of people just are ignoring these days. They're thinking, they're thinking in terms of money and progression, but the generation coming through aren't so interested in that. They want to be happy at work, and they will. Uh, the, the gen, they will stay in businesses if they're happy. They're yeah. jumping not because they're not. They're jumping because they're not happy, and they're the first yeah. generation who did that. <laughs> um, so that soft target may sound airy fairy, mm -hmm. but that's what's retaining them. And you, gosh, you know that trying to rehire, train, you know, you've lost six months on a hire or six months of your life finding and training that person. So from a business level, it's around retention of my team. So you would put that, you would put retention as your number one. And I know you don't like the word KPIs, <laughs> but your number one metric, my number one measurement, or your most important measurement on, you know, PIP's dashboard, <laughs> um, quarterly dashboard, is retention. It's, 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 it's attraction and retention. Yeah. You know, I have to onboard the right people. It has to be a diverse onboarding mm -hmm. strategy. And also it is then retention. But it is also weeding out people that aren't right. And yeah. I think that's probably one of the things that I struggled in the early days most with is letting people go that aren't right. And mm. I've come to realise that's probably... Uh, that's an important part of building and retaining a world-class team because if there's someone that's not right in a business, it actually... One apple can rot the whole barrel and it can affect other people and lead to an unhappy team in general. So mm. I think that's the thing that I have struggled with most over the years is letting people go I'm I'd say I'm pretty good at it now but that's taken years of, of, of soul searching and realizing that actually it's best for the collective team happiness if I get people that aren't right out as quickly as possible yeah 100 percent. so is there a what is what is the noun for a dot for a dot employee a, a daughter <laughs> Don't. They're my family. Um. Oh, sorry. Family. <laughs> Children. I call them my kids. They're my godparents. Godparents. They're my godparents. But do you have I'm a... Mama, I'm mama dot. They're the godparents. Okay, mama <laughs> But do you have a... Um, <clears throat> you know, is, talking about retention and attraction and mm. happiness, is there a certain type of person who works at the dots that mm. you look for in terms of an attribute or an attitude or a... There's a value set. There's not a type. I get really worried about type because you start aligning that with culture fit, and culture fit is one of the. You're back and then you're back in MTV days. You're back in the MTV days. Yeah. You're hiring people like you that you want to hang out at the pub. They're not necessary. Then you start having homogenous teams. So um, I very much don't go for like, are they a cultural fit? Because that breeds homogenous teams. It's more we have a, a six values, and we. Um, vet actually the first um, interview I do for people is vetting them on values because and what, what are the, what are those values? So first one's positivity, <laughs> but it's um, it's not positivity for positivity's sake. I want a team that challenges everything, but it's people that come to me with solutions, not problems. Because when you're scaling, everything's going wrong all the time. Having people that are whinging about certain things without coming up with solutions is just a nightmare. So that's like the first and most mm -hmm. important one. Obviously, creativity. Um, you know, it's amazing how many times I interview someone and they're like, yeah, and I love the creative industries. And I'm like, what was the last creative event you went to? And they're like, uh, and you're just like, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so collaboration, because for us, it's all about team being mm. team players. Um, diversity is a core value. So we always hire 
the diversity drive is another one um, and curiosity so that's kind of the values that we look for and I learned the hard way that I've hired a few people in the past where I've hired on skill and I knew they weren't quite right on the values and they're the ones that have gone wrong yeah. so now I vet for values first because if they don't pass the values test they're just not going to work out yeah. just it's just the way it works um, coming back to the business yeah. and your stories of growth and I guess challenges you know those moments that the resilience of being a dyslexic were tested you know is there one or two moments you'd like to share that you were like why am I doing this again <laughs> you know what's what's the purpose what's the point you know maybe you could share one of those one of those stories Oh, you know what? I mean, you know more than anyone will. Like, building a business is an endless roller coaster ride of highs and lows. And anyone who says it isn't is completely lying. I mean, I, I have literally been the happiest I've ever been in my life. And I have been at home crying on my husband's shoulder going, what on earth am I doing? This is so hard. And sometimes it can be quite lonely at the top because, you know, the buck stops with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's been so many hard times, um, you know, from really bad hiring decisions. Um, I think most recently it was raising money. Raising finance is just a nightmare. So, you know, we raised a four million investment round, um, which sounds wonderful, but that was that was really tough. Um, uh, you know, going out and pitching, um, Every time you're pitching, you're away from the business and growing the business, but you've got to show that the business is growing, but you're actually pitching. Um, and the fact that there is still an element of unconscious bias that exists for women in tech. And so, as I said, only 2.3% of funding goes to women at my level now. And I experienced some you know, really tough times. You know, I go in with my amazing COO, John, and they just only talk to John, even though John was there like going, uh, and she's Pip CEO, being Pip CEO. So you get this like, oh. Um, uh, but that, that was kind of weirdly, it's awful, but at the same time, they're just bad people. So I knew straight away they were bad people and they wouldn't be the right investors. But that, that, that process is, is really, really grueling. Um, and any tips any words of support any positivity that you can share for other people who are looking to go through that process or in the middle of it i think the first thing you always ask is i think there's an expectation that startups need money i think some first think do you really want to take on money because if mm -hmm. you're taking on money essentially you're going into a marriage without the benefit makeup sex you know like it's literally that's it. you have shareholders you know you are not the king of the girls we haven't had an argument yet <laughs> surely surely that comes makeup sex comes after the argument so yeah one be careful of taking it on to the thing that i did really right on this round actually for the first month i pitched all the people that I knew were real hard nuts in the market and that I knew that were not the best people. Um, and it got me completely pitch ready. So by the end of that month, I knew all the answers. I had my due diligence all worked out. It was so grueling. You know, there are moments when I was at home with my husband going, oh my God, this is so hideous. But it was brilliant. It got me pitch ready. And someone gave me really good advice once is don't pitch the people you want first you know, get get some runs under your board and then start pitching the people you really want. And that really paid off dividends. So yeah. so get match fit, basically. Um, and then you'll feel really confident when you go in to see the people that you really want. 
to yeah. be working with, which is, yeah, that was kind of the best tip I've got. Okay, that's good. <laughs> but coming back to your point about raising money, mm. because we are in a startup world, mm. we are in a flexible freelance entrepreneurial world. Mm. And maybe just talk a little bit more about that, because you know, I've read a lot about it, and you know, some people do, some people don't. Yeah. There's reasons for, there's reasons against. But what, what was your reason for raising? My reason is we're, we're a tech business. And I think more so, more tech businesses, you need the upfront capital because you need to have, you need to build something before people use it. So um, uh, also because of my aspiration to become the next LinkedIn, there is no way I'm going to do that without raising capital. I think I, the most important thing is to work out what do you want from your life and what's going to make you happy. Do you want a lifestyle business where you can work remotely and you have enough money to live well? Then don't take on capital. If you want global domination, which I do, um, then then yeah, make you know that's that's the decision I made, and I need to have capital to be able to to scale the dots. Um, and I'll probably be raising investment every eighteen months for the next twenty years. Because we'll need more capital to launch into different countries, and but yeah, I think it's it's a really personal decision that people should first and foremost go. What do you want from your life? Because once you've taken on investors, you are you are responsible to those shareholders. So you can't just quit if things are tough. You have to drive this through because it's not just your money; it's other people's money. Yeah, no, for sure. And just building on that a little more in terms of advisors, mm-hmm. mentors, coaching, what. What is your relationship with your advisors, your mentors, your coaches, and I guess who have you had over the years and what what importance are they in your life and the growth of the dots? Massively important. So I have kind of like a portfolio of, I guess what I... I I, I get worried about using the term mentorship because I think when people talk about mentors, it implies someone that you catch up with every week. Um... I learned actually that that's not very useful because people are great at certain things. And so when you have that mentor where you're catching up like on a weekly basis, you outgrow them for certain areas of your business. So what I now have is like a portfolio of, I guess, sponsors who I can draw on when I'm having specific problems about the business and experts in that area. So, um, for example, John Hegarty is our chairman and one of my shareholders. You know, I, I lean on John for creative advice, going through anything brand related, um, when it comes to talent, I have an amazing um, mentor who's a head of talent in a VC. Um, I have an amazing mentors in growth who talk about like growing the community and um, and what will actually happen if I've got a problem. I might talk to them like five times in one week, and then I'll leave them in peace for like eight months until I have another problem. And that, I feel that relationship works really well because these people, when you're getting really senior people helping you they're busy they haven't got time for like a weekly catch-up but they do want to help and the other thing I found is when I first started out I was like I really want female tech mentors and I was like okay I'm gonna get Martha Lane Fox who started not on the high street and I'm gonna get Sherry Cootie and all this kind of thing and I was emailing these women I'm not getting a response I was like oh that's a bit rude um and then as I got more sort of into this I I now get about 60 emails a day from women wanting me to mentor them um that if I had 60 coffees a day like it's just not physically possible so I suddenly realized if I'm getting 60 a day then someone like Martha's probably getting 600 a day and so I realized there just aren't enough senior women 
in tech to support the wave or tsunami of women that are coming through tech. So I worked out, actually, it's much easier to get male mentors, and you can punch way above your weight getting male mentors. And the best male mentors are the ones with daughters who want to see things change. Ah, <laughs> so I then I was like, okay, let's find incredible people that would never talk to me in a million years if I was, and this is an advantage of being a woman, um, a male entrepreneur, but they will talk to me because they've got daughters, they want to see team change and they're helping pull people up. And that's been kind of quite a, a revolution in, in terms of my brain space of how, how to find that portfolio of sponsors, I guess. But that also sounds like an opportunity in terms of the demand or the need or the you know require not even requirement you know the importance of mentorship or mm. supporting female mm. female founders female entrepreneurs does that i mean what does that exist it doesn't exist in terms of a, an organized community or there a are network? loads of amazing mentor networks now so there's who's your mama which is run by she says there's um the creative mentor network um there's um, Albright that do this in the tech space. I, um, but I think, I think, you know, all of those are amazing. I think it's, um, you know, there's definitely more opportunities for people to get mentors. I think also what I've just really found is there's just this wave of incredible men coming through with daughters who really want to see yeah. gene change, who are, you know, CEOs of massive businesses who are giving their time up to mm. people like me. And that is really magical that that wave is sort of happening. So yeah, that excites great. me about the future. Tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> tell me. Um, I, well, it was one of my final questions, but if someone does want to contact you, maybe not to be a mentor, maybe to be a mentor, <laughs> but just, you know, for a chit chat or support, what's the best way of someone getting hold of you? The darts. <laughs> Did I cue that up well enough? <laughs> no, but like, if you follow me on the dots, I follow everyone back. I do spend Saturdays responding to all emails. I can't have coffees with loads of people, but I love getting people. When I do talks, I love people coming along and then I can chat to them there. And we also do these portfolio masterclasses, which are a fantastic way to get yeah, into the industry. So yeah, I that's can totally vouch for those. Yeah. And um, final question. Can you recommend someone who you'd like to hear on the show? Oh, so many people. Okay, I'm going to list off. You all don't have to have one. You could have a few. Okay. Um, if I list off all women, is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> We're doing pretty well on our diversity count on my stories of growth. So, uh, um, I would love Daniel Pender, who I know you know, who yeah, I just, Daniel's who fantastic. I just think you know, um, Repost Magazine is just for me, just just what the future should be about a smart woman's thinking obviously live little as well at galdam is just one of my my icons who i absolutely love otega who did um the little black book is you know another i've got another kind of girl crush on <laughs> but then there's beautiful people doing wonderful work in tech so um, there's Bethany Kobe who started Tech Will Save Us, which is around is toys for kids um, yeah. and teaching them to code really early, which I love. Um, there's also an amazing woman called Ella who started a VC called Zinc. Um, what they do is they only fund pro-social tech projects. Um, and so it's a bit like Founders First where they come up with a social problem. They put all these amazing people in a room 
Um, so it's a mixture of engineers, designers, and marketers, and they come up with tech solutions to solve those big world issues. Um, and Ella's just an absolute legend. Their last, their last cohort was around female empowerment. So one of the products that came out of that is an app that teaches you how to tell your husband how to do things to you. Is that the right way to say it? You know what it is about? <laughs> Basically, it's because a lot of women just don't know how to say do that. So anyway, it's amazing. It's about female empowerment. So um, Zinc is this incredible VC fund, which I think is the should be the future of venture capital. It's you know commercial products that are changing the world in a positive way. That's what we should be focusing on. Great, Pip. Thank you so much. It's been fascinating chatting.